said, he said, um, they were chosen, and I wrote this down quickly, uh, around who God is and what he has done for us. And then Brad had some beautiful readings from Jonah, which I always find a a little amusing at the end there when he gets his feelings hurt. Mm -hmm. But both of those that reading and the songs just fit exactly into this lesson today. And I, I find that, you know, again, amazing how, how that just works out. And perhaps it's because someone said, oh, I thought someone called my name. I'm hearing a voice. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> Where was I? <laughs> anyway, we're going to look today at the Christian's worldview. How we are to look at the world. From 1 John chapter 5, verse 19. <clears throat> Between 1948 and 1950, long before I was born, the great preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones, who preached in London at the Westminster Church, preached through 1 John. And interestingly, he didn't begin with chapter 1, verse 1. He began with chapter 5, verse 19. This was his beginning point. And he stated there that this verse provides us with the background and setting to the teaching of the whole epistle. He, he took this as one of his three key verses. Uh, I did not know this while I was doing my own study, but found out later on that he thought chapter 1, verse 4 was a key verse. Chapter 5, verse 13 And he skipped chapter 2, verse 1, which is my third key verse. Mm -hmm. But we agreed at least on two of the three. But as I read his thoughts on this, I thought, well, he he certainly saw, uh, was insightful and saw something that I did not see. It took him three full sermons to deal with this one verse. I don't think I'll take three. I plan one, but but don't promise one. Because this this is a powerful, powerful verse. And he centered his sermon, his, I think his last sermon in this, the theme, the fact that the theme of the epistle is the position of the Christian in this world. The theme of the whole epistle is where the Christian is in this world. And I think that's true. One thing that I've stated over and over, if we don't know and believe who we are in Christ... We will not live out the life of Christ. And that's been one of my, that's one of my standing things from, that, goes, that really goes back 30 years. I remember discovering this, you know, what motivates me? How do I live my life? And it's rooted in who I know I am and who I believe I am in Christ. We have to live out our faith. Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. He says, he he said in there also, it is I who lives. It's not like God took away my personality. My personality is still here. It's still me. But it's Christ living through me. It's me living through Christ. And this is the source of our motivation. It must be the source of our motivation. I think for too long we've depended on external things to motivate us. And it's all of us. I'm including myself here. We look at external things to motivate us. We, we rely on programs and personalities 
to get us to live out our faith. Where would we be without a great youth program, a great college ministry, a great counseling and preaching ministry, teaching ministry? Where would we be? And I'm not saying these things aren't good, aren't essential, aren't, are not biblical. They are. They're good. They're essential. They're biblical. But what I'm saying is that we should live out our life in Christ, regardless of the personality of someone in a ministry, regardless of how good a program is or isn't. And it's a question of where I'm placing my faith. Where do I place my faith? Am I placing my faith in a great church, great congregation, a great preacher, a great set of elders, a great program? Or am I placing my faith and living out my faith in Christ? And that's what John has been doing this entire letter. And that's why Martin Lloyd-Jones saw that in this verse. It's written so that our joy may be overflowing, that, our, that sin will be absent in our lives, and that eternal life is a reality. It has everything to do with a Christ-centered way and a God-directed life. And so John follows up from verse 18 where we, had, where we looked at last time, where he essentially stated that the normal Christian life is a life of righteousness. The normal Christian life is a life of righteousness. He says in verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe. And the evil one cannot harm him. And I'm not going to re-preach that verse. It says so much. I believe I did take two lessons on that verse. But he's saying here we were brought into a kingdom. We've been brought into a a state, a, a dominion, a reality by the grace of God where we're free from the power of sin. And while we do sin and while we're learning how not to sin... This dominion that we're in, this state that we're in, is where we're continually cleansed of our sins. It's the state of light. It is light. That's where we are. And so powerful and true is this state of reality that John can state it in these words, these powerful words, these stark words, those born of God do not sin. We do not live in the state of sin, is what he's saying. And so that demands action from my faith. Do I believe that? Mm -hmm. Do I really believe that I live in a place where I'm free from the power of sin? And it forces me to make a choice, to choose, to choose whether to believe this or disbelieve really what God has stated in his word. God Mm -hmm. said this. Do I believe it? And then in this verse that we're looking at today, he Reminds us forcefully who we are and the stark reality of the world in which we live. He says in verse 19, we know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We're going to look at two facts today. Two facts that we need to live out in order to have a true worldview. To look at the world in reality. How do we look at the world? We all have a worldview. 
And it's neat as you travel to different countries, you find how people have a different view of the world. And when you come back here and you talk with people, you see the different worldviews that we have. And so here he says, this is, this is how you have a true worldview. And it's not the first time John has stated this, but it's so important that he sums it up in his conclusion here. He, he brings out these three no's, the three things we know in his conclusions. And so we're going to look at the two facts that form our worldview. The first one, we know that we're children of God. That's an eye with the world in it, if you can't tell. He's looking at the world, you know, through his eyes. And he says, this is, this is the first thing, we, the first fact that we have to know. We know that we are children of God. Oh, I know. It's been, I know. I've used that word a lot, haven't I? No. John has said this. This is the 35th time in this letter that he's used this word, no. Where he's saying, we know this or you know this. And in the Amplified Bible, which is amplified, it takes the words and it tries to bring out the meaning, kind of what I do in my paraphrases. He says, we know positively. We know positively. This is absolute knowledge. This is beyond a shadow of a doubt knowing. And it's based in two things. We've been taught this. This is the lesson that God has given us through his word. Our teachers have told us this. Our leaders have told us this that God, through God's word that we know these things. And then we experienced it. Two types of knowing. We, we begin to put it into, into practice and we begin to see that we really do know this. And God wants us to rest in him, he says. He, God says, I want you to be secure in me. I want you to display confidence in me. And he says here, we know that we are children of God. And that's a running theme throughout this whole letter. No, I couldn't avoid it. I couldn't, I couldn't help myself. Yes, these are my grandchildren. But, you know, I, I chose them instead of choosing random children or your children. I don't have pictures of your children. <laughs> but, you know, there's something about when it's your children and your grandchildren. There's a feeling. I mean, I, I sat there and just looked at these pictures over and over. And I thought back and memories came back of the different events, the different times that we were with them during this time. And so God says, your security does not lie in your loveliness. You're not loved because you're lovely. You're loved despite your unloveliness. And God doesn't just accept us and say, you can come into my kingdom as a student, a follower, a member. Yes, we are followers. Yes, we are students. Yes, we are members. That's true. But he wants you to come in, first of all, as his child. The first step is being born, being birthed into this relationship. We're not kept at arm's length, but we're brought into an embrace with God as a child. And this has been an emphasis all throughout this letter. And so we go back to one of my favorite ones in chapter 3, verse 1, one of the high points of the chapter. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And so that we really, so that John really makes the point here, he says, and that is what we are. But that takes faith to believe that. We resist 
that knowledge. God has told us over and over, and we say, just make me your hired servant. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I am but dust. I am a sinner. Have mercy on me. And I think many times we're more content and more comfortable living on the edge of salvation, Hmm. begging for forgiveness, groveling before a mighty God. That's our comfort zone. And we'd be more comfortable there because we know we're sinners. And we know we're unworthy. And we know we need forgiveness. And we know we deserve punishment. And then suddenly, if I've been half listening to this series, if I'm half thinking, I realize that all those statements were about me. My unworthiness. My sin. My inability to live up to what I know I ought to live up to. We're so self-centered that we have a hard time allowing God to forgive. We have a hard time allowing God to make us worthy, to create us to be new, to really believe that. That's where our problem lies, is we're so self-centered in our sin that we focus on our sin and we focus on our own unlovingness. And God is saying throughout this whole letter and throughout the whole Bible, it's not about you. It's about me, God. I'm the one who makes you this. I'm the one who forgives. And so God proclaims the goodest news ever given. If goodest isn't a word, it should be. The goodest news ever given. So, so good we can hardly believe this. And he goes all the way back to chapter 1, verse 5, and he says, here's the message. Here's the good news. What is it? God is light. In him there is absolutely no darkness at all. Where were you in that message? You were in the application of that message, but where are you? Where's the good news? The good news is about God, is about Him who is light. In Him there is no darkness. And because He is light, He has made us light. He has made us saints. He has sanctified us. He's done it. He has saved us. We are worthy because He made us worthy. It's all God-centered. And we just keep on going back to our self-centeredness because that's that's the nature of our fallen flesh is to keep on going back to our self-centeredness. Even when we're trying to do the right thing, it becomes a self-centered thing. Am I with you? Are you with me on that? Surely you are. I know you, you struggle with this as much as I do. And in the midst of all this, God says, little children, because this is little children. I love that word, the little technia. It's that, that's that tender um, nickname that the nanny in the nursery gave children. You are my little, whatever your nickname is, to God. You're my beloved ones, he says, again and again. And the literal phrase here as, we read, as you read it is not we are, we are um, let me read it in the English We know that we are children of God. But he says, we know that out of God we are. That's literal. Out of God we are. But the NIV is trying to expand this, trying to make you think. 
Because that's a weird phrase. Out of God we are. We are out of God. And so he says here, it includes being a child. The NIV is trying to give this full expression to, to the meaning here. It includes a relationship. It includes fellowship. It includes communion. It includes all those words and everything that it implies. It includes our origin, out of God. Where do we come from? Out of God. It includes our new birth, being a new creator. What does a child do? What, what did a child do to become? From conception to birth, what does a child do? Nothing but depend on the mother. Nothing. It's not out of his will that he or she is, is conceived. That they grow in the womb. In the same way, that's the visual that God is trying to give you. You, are, you have been birthed. You have come out of me. It includes our source of life. It includes our source of being. Our life is eternal. Why? Because we are joined to the eternal life. It speaks of belonging. It speaks of our state of being. We live in the light. We live in the kingdom of the Son. We live in a state of continual forgiveness. What do you know? We keep using this word. What do you know? We know that we're children of God. We know we are birthed out of God. And you know what you believe or you believe what you know. I think both ways work. What do you believe? Do you believe? Right now, think to yourself. Do you believe you're unloved by God or love? Do you believe you're continually cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Or are you forever unsure of your forgiveness? Do you believe you're controlled by Satan or God? Do you believe your worth is rooted in the gift of Jesus or your performance? And God calls us to believe in him. Believe my word. Believe what I think about you. God calls us to know because he's told us these things. And you see, we resist it. My, that's my point. We keep resisting these things over and over. We, we, we look at ourselves and we believe we're unworthy. And God says, listen, I want you to believe you're worthy because I made you that way. And we resist that. God says, I saved you and I am saving you. Mm-hmm. Know it. I've cleansed you and I'm cleansing you. Know it. I loved you and I am loving you. Know it. Know it because I said it, God says. Second Corinthians. I think in my... my Screen here, I think I have First Corinthians. It should be Second Corinthians, chapter one, verse twenty. Twenty and twenty-one. It says there, for no matter how many promises God has made, no matter how many promises God has made, go ahead and look at them all up. Just read through the promises. No matter how many He made, and He made a lot of them, they are yes in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. We just say, let it be. That's what amen means. God said, listen, I'm giving you these promises. You're saved. You go, I don't feel saved. Don't, don't say I don't feel. Just say amen. You said it. It's true. That's all it is. It has nothing to do with your feelings. It has nothing mm-hmm. to do with how well you're doing. Mm-hmm. It has nothing to do with... How, think, how you think you're growing in Christ and maturing. Just say, okay, you said it. I believe it. That's what he says. Now listen carefully to the next verse that's not on the screen. 
Now it is God, it is God who makes both us and you to stand firm in Christ. It's God who does it. He anointed us. We had three or four sermons on that in 1 John. He set his seal of ownership on you. Popped a seal of ownership on you. Who's going to touch you? God said, I bought this one. Paid in full. I don't know what's on our forehead. (laughs) And he says, that's mine. God's seal of ownership. He put our spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. Who did it? God did it. God anointed us. God set a seal of ownership on us. God said, I'm going to put my spirit in you. So it is guaranteed what's to come. Guaranteed. God made a promise. Do we believe it? So walk as children of light. When we know all this, when we live it, when we begin living it, when we sit here and just think about it, we struggle with it, but just start living it. Live as if you're saved because you are saved. Live as if you're loved because you are loved. Live as if you're a child of God because you are a child of God. And then your walk is going to be clearer. Your life is going to be clearer. Your life will begin to have joy. You'll begin to see things you hadn't seen before. Your steps will be lighter. Your burden will be carried with ease. You'll have burdens, yes, you'll have struggles, but they'll be eased because you'll know who you are in Christ. The darkness of despair and anger, the bitterness of life will diminish. Depression and anxiety will be, will be replaced by the fact that I'm the child of the creator of the universe. How can you be down and depressed mm. when you're the child? Of the king. What can harm you? What can harm you? Psalms 118 verse 6 says, The Lord is with me. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? You're God's child. What can man do to you? And that forms the second fact of our worldview. We know that the world is under the control of the evil one. This is something we need to be careful not to forget. It's easy to forget this. And that's why John has emphasized it throughout this letter. The world is in dire straits. We're not talking about the band there. I love that band. (laughs) But it's not that dire straits I'm talking about. And what makes this so much more perilous is that the world is essentially oblivious to that fact that it's in danger. Like a man sitting on a train track was back to a train coming doesn't even know what's happening we're out of the grip of Satan we saw that in the last verse and because of that we now have a clear picture we can see clearly how, what the world is like what the world is about the true state of the people in the world and some of these people are dear to us some are family members some are friends Some are nice people we meet in the grocery stores. These are good and religious people, some of them. And they're in the state, and they don't realize where they are. And John reminds us, he says, we know. We know there's a clear-cut delineation 
between the world and God's children. And it's important because it's so easy to forget. Satan tempts us. He, he tries to move us close to the world. We see the physical beauty around us. I love the physical beauty around us. That's a real picture that my son-in-law in Oregon took. We're going to go visit them. Uh, not him as much as the grandkids. <laughs> but we're going to go visit him. And they already have the itinerary where they're going to take us. Go see the kids and grandkids. And, you know, I'm sure I'll see the beauty. But I'll be seeing the kids more than this. But we see such stark beauty in the world around us. And it makes us think, this is life to the full. This is life to the full. You know, the, the beauty around us. The gorgeous sunsets. The, all that. And sometimes we even see the spark of God in others' lives. The, the acts of charity, the kindness, the sweetness, the niceness. And we think, you know, they're good people. They don't, they, maybe they really don't need God. Maybe, maybe they're already in a relationship with Him. Maybe we start justifying things. And it's easy to be lulled into complacency, forget the reality of the world that John reminds us of. He said, I want you to, I want you to remember this. Some see problems around us and they say, well, there's a political solution. Political solutions just delay the ultimate solution, which is not a good one. We see advances in technology. We believe that one, man, one day mankind will have the answer to all the problems. And we're going to go to Mars and we're going to whatever. Hmm. Ten years ago, there was no, I don't know if there's smartphones ten years ago, but I didn't have one. And we have these smartphones right now. And we're looking up stuff right now. Hmm. Looking, and it's just amazing. You have a computer in your hand. Hmm. And we think, there is the answer. But for the Christian, we know something. We know something. We know it because it's been revealed to us clearly, not only in God's Word, but we've seen it in our experiences. Not all is right with this world. We see physical destruction. I've seen nice people do terrible things. Political promises fall short. Technology creates more problems than solutions. And the truth is clear. All is not right. In fact, the way John says it, he says, the whole world lies in the wicked. And the imagery here is really graphic. Literally, it says, the whole world in the evil lies. Now, in, this one says the evil one, my NIV. But literally, the whole world in the evil lies. And there's two definitions here that really bring out the word pictures. The first one is lies. This is talking about literally in a recumbent position, lying down like in bed, like going to sleep. And so when the shepherds came to see Jesus and he was lying in a manger, that's the same word. Very same word. Lying down. And so we get this idea the world is lying with the evil one. And then the evil one. Literally, as I said, it means evil. Uh, many of your translations will say something like wickedness or evil. The word means pain, laborious trouble, pain-ridden. It emphasizes the agony and misery that goes with evil. And so it sums up every physical defect, every physical suffering, every emotional burden. It speaks of the moral decay in our lives. It's not just this theological sin, but every aspect of pain that can be defined by this word 
evil. And it's not simply a non-personal evil, but it's caused by the serpent, the evil one, who lied and said, you can be like God. You can be like God. This is the evil. This is literally the evil as living out my existence centered around myself, believing in myself, thinking I can be God or as God. And we know this is where the world has made its bed. It's lie down with this evil. It knows of no other place. I told you months ago about the Timur the goat and Amur the tiger. Remember those two? Oh, the world was just astonished that these two grew up together and they were best friends. Timur the goat and Amur the tiger. And the people would come take pictures of them. Oh, isn't it wonderful? They play together. They eat together. They have such a good time. And Timur kept acting like a goat. Kept bumping into Amur and butting him until Amur just had enough. And became a tiger. And put a whipping on him. <laughs> Poor old Timur. Walked away beaten and his feelings were hurt. And the zookeeper said, he, ain't, he can't live with him anymore. And he's going to be the next meal if he does that. <laughs> you know, they can, things, wonderful things like that can happen for a while. But you play with a tiger long enough, it's going to hurt you. These two mm-hmm. ladies are laying down with the tiger. And I said, and the world lies with the evil one. Oh, isn't that cute? Mm. Isn't that wonderful? Mm. Wouldn't you love to do that? Nope. Nope. Beautiful tigers. They just snuggle up to you. Mm. Until one day, when they've had enough or something, their nature will come out. They'll swat you. You don't want to get swat by a tiger. Mm-hmm. And so that's the way the world is. We're lying down with the tiger. He says, you're lying down with the tiger. Mm. And it's time to wake up. It's time to get away from that. Pain comes, and the world can only mask its pain with mm. things. The world masks its, its, its life with drugs or pleasure or work. I'm lonely, so I, what's my solution? I'll get married. I'm depressed, so I'll take a pill. I'm bored, so I'll fill, fill my time with stuff. And the list goes on and on. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't take proper medication. I'm not saying you shouldn't get married. I'm not saying you shouldn't work. And I'm not saying pleasure is bad. But we take those things, and the world takes those things to extremes of masking the pain and the troubles around us with something besides the one who said, Come to me, and I will give you rest. We're in a nation that's overdrugged, overworked, overentertained. Isn't that true? How many of us can't put this away for an hour and a half? <laughs> Just put it down, turn it off. What would Facebook do without me? <laughs> If you had it on just then, I wasn't looking at you. I didn't know that. (laughs) You just got caught. (laughs) You know, it's only when we know that the world lies in the lap of evil that it will lose its appeal. Mm -hmm. When we we learn and we know that the world lies in the lap of the evil, it will begin to lose its appeal. 
It is only when we know that the world lies in a pain-ridden and destructive power that we will cease to place our hope in things and world life. It is only when we know that the world lies oblivious to its danger that we'll have compassion to share the message of hope. Mm. This is the message of hope. God is light. Mm -hmm. There's a new kingdom. There's a new kingdom of light and life. And it's open to everyone. Stop lying down with the tigers. Get up. There's life. In 2004, a series of tsunamis hit Thailand. You heard about it in the news. In a resort era, area called Krambi. You'll see here a picture of a 37-year-old woman running toward the tsunami. Click. Click that button. Not that one. What happened to my circles? Can you see her running? Everyone else in panic is running away from it. And you think, why in the world is she running toward it? Those waves are 20 feet high. A series of six of them, and she's running toward the waves. Because there you'll see it's her family. Who was out there with their back to the waves. They didn't realize what was going on. Oblivious to the danger. They were just looking at the ground. They were looking at the shells and the coral and whatever. And she saw that massive wave come. And she goes tearing out toward them. To warn them of their danger. Her name was Karen. Shavarg, something like that, from Sweden. Later on, she said, I only had one thought in mind. In my mind, I had to try to save my children. Mm. Nothing was going to stop me. Terror was coming up inside me, and I was so focused, mm. I just started running from my family. Mm. I could see this white wall coming toward me. I did not care. I was looking at my children. Mm. I wanted to hold them, protect them. She never made it to them. When the wall hit, she found the palm tree, hung under that palm tree. It took her to higher ground. And then, by the grace of God, her children, her husband, her brother, all were saved too. Wow. This is the message of God. It is God running to us. Luke chapter 15. God runs to us in different ways. Sometimes he's like the lost sheep. He goes out. He's looking for it. He's like going out through the danger. He's going toward the tsunami. He's going out in the wilderness. He's looking for you, searching for you. Come on. He's trying to find you. Sometimes it's like the lost coin. He's just, you know, it's down there. It's valuable to him. He wants to find that coin. He's sweeping underneath the different pieces of furniture mm. looking for you. And sometimes all he can do is wait, like the father did in the prodigal son. All he could do is wait. You have to choose to come back. He'll come running for you if you need to. He'll search for you. And he'll wait for you. He'll just wait. Wait, wait, and wait until you wake up. Until you suddenly realize, oh, I'm lying down with the tiger. I need to get out of this. I am in a pig pen. This is not a good place to be. God of light who gives light. Salvation makes you a new person. 
the God who by his grace and mercy opens up a door of fellowship, the God of love who brings us to, into his family. He calls us children. This is a Christian worldview. This is how we see the world. Do we see the world in danger? Are we willing to run out toward the tsunami? Mm. Are we willing to look under the rugs for people and under the chair? Are we willing to wait until they finally wake up and they start coming home? And so God calls all of us, calls all those lying in the evil. He says, come to me. I'm waiting. Paraphrase that I have, I expanded on this, says this. Beyond the shadow of a doubt, we know. And we know it absolutely that our life came from God and belongs to God. We're loved. We're his children. That's how we live. We also know just as clearly that the entire world system has made its bed in the troubles and pain-ridden agony called evil. They lie there with the evil one without a clue of the danger they are in. That's what we know. And so if we know that, let's live that out. Let's live as children of light. Let's live as people who know that there's people in danger and that we need to wake them up. And let's go and wake them up if we need to. Or if we need just to wait for them patiently, let's wait for them patiently. Whatever God calls us to do. Whatever position we are as a Christian, let's do those things. But if you're, if you're lying with a tiger, I just want to tell you, it feels good right now. Mm. It's comfortable. Big old paw around your body, snuggling mm. you up. Feels good. But wake up. Wake up before it destroys you. Mm-hmm. So if you're there, I'm calling you to wake up. In whatever manner that might may be, it may be going to the elders up front here in a, in a minute. It may be going to someone in the back and talking to them. Whatever it is, wake up. You're lying with the tiger. Get out of that and come be a child of, of God. Be loved. Be his children. Live that way. If we can help anyone, our elders will be here as we stand and as we sing. Mm-hmm.